Hi, I'm Erwin McManus, and this is the Mosaic Podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And if you're one of our regular listeners, we love the fact that you journey with us. And we pray that every single message inspires you and helps you become the person that God created you to be. Every single week, we send a new message across the world. And everything we do here at Mosaic is made available to everyone in the world for absolutely free. The reason we can do that is that we have incredible people who give generously and sacrificially to make this possible. And I want to invite you to join us. If you're already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you've not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that now. Go to mosaic.org give and give a one-time gift or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Mosaic. And if you're one of those individuals who God has blessed in an amazing way financially, I want to invite you to become one of our partners here at Mosaic. What's really beautiful about Mosaic is that our biggest givers are families who do not live here in Los Angeles, but they are so committed to the message of Jesus going to the world that they support the work here from Los Angeles to the ends of the earth. And so I want to invite you again, go to mosaic.org give, become a part of our support system, become one of our partners. And more than anything else, I want you to listen to the message, allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. I didn't grow up in church, I didn't grow up in faith, and, and for um, a lot of us, this is a new um, experience, not necessarily being in a church on Sunday, but being a part of Mosaic and creating something unique and something different. And, and, and sometimes it's hard to explain what we're trying to do. I don't know if you guys like soccer, but uh, I love soccer, and uh, football properly known, and around the rest of the world. And, and I, I was in, a, in South America, and someone was asking, what's the difference between like Mosaic and, let's say, maybe other, other churches? And, and I said, well, it's so difficult to explain because if you write it on paper, it all seems the same. When you talk about American soccer and Brazilian soccer, on paper, it's the same. On paper, you have 11 players and a goalie and a goal and a soccer ball, and the dimensions of the field are the same. And so if you just saw on paper Brazilian football and American football, you think the same. But when you watch Brazil play and you watch the U.S. play, you go, oh, it's different. It's a different understanding of how the spaces are used. And, and a huge part of who Mosaic is is that we, we always keep our hearts postured to the person who's furthest away from God. We always keep our hearts postured to the person who's outside of our community. We, we, all, we always keep our hearts postured to the person that other people would not see or not value or not consider. And, and, and while we care for each other and while we really do want to have the kind of community where we help each other, um, we're always a place where there's an empty seat at the table, waiting for that person we did not expect to show up. Because that's a huge part of what brought me uh, to faith. You know, I, I think a lot of times we, we act like belief systems are all about intellectual arguments about who's smarter, whose argument is better. But I, I can tell you, I did not come to faith because smarter people were having conversations with me, and I didn't not come to faith because I was smarter than the people I was having conversations with. In fact, a lot of times when I did not believe in God, I, I was sure I won the battle, I won the argument, I won the debate, but I felt like I was still losing something. And, and there was something inside of me that always longed to experience what these people seem to experience. It, it, it's kind of a pain. I mean, it's the most frustrating thing in the world when you feel like someone else is wrong and you're right and you want their life. 
Because I would, I could think I'd kind of like rather be wrong and have their life than right and have my life. And a huge part of the journey for me was really understanding that, that we sometimes misdiagnose um, what's really important in life. We end up creating all these theologies about things that no one's asking about. It's amazing, you know, when there used to be Christian bookstores, I guess they're all gone now, but all bookstores are gone now. They're just, they're just Amazon. They own the world. And, and there were all these books about, like, the end times. You ever, you ever notice that? You know, and all these movies about the end times. And, and then I try to open the Bible and go, wow, there's nothing in here that's in those movies. And I realized there are more books written about things that no one understands. Because we tend to write more about things we really don't understand. Because no one knows if they're right or wrong. But I, I kind of was at the place in my life of going, well, really, I don't really care how it ends. I kind of care how my story, I, about the, I, I don't really care more about the end of history than I care about the middle of my story. I just kind of want to know, like, it, does my life matter? Is there any way to find some meaning in this life? Is there any way to do anything that makes you feel as if your life is significant? And, and I think that's really where most of us are in our life. And, and so I, I, in a joking way, I actually just basically created what I called party theology. Because I felt like a lot of times religion just sucks the life out of people. Because whenever I would um, experience anything religious, it was always really quiet. And it was always really serious. It was almost like somber and morose. And, and, and I kind of associated God with being depressed. Like if it felt depressing, it had to be spiritual. And, and if it felt happy, you knew God wasn't in it. Because the moment there was like happiness or joy or laughter, it couldn't be spiritual, right? And there's some of you, maybe you come from kind of a religious background, and it might feel a little awkward to be in a place where people laugh. Is that really right? But what was funny is that if you can laugh, it means God created you with the ability to laugh. See, if you can actually, if you can enjoy, that means you're created with the ability to enjoy. So, so I want you to know, whatever you believe, God's not like out there somewhere going, stop it! You're enjoying that way too much. Uh, see, I don't care what people say. I still believe that we are able to create donuts because God created us in his image. And we have, we have pizza because God's creative and gave us the capacity to create those things. And, and, and we want to connect together spirituality and joy. We, we want to reconnect what it means to, to enjoy a life because we're created not just to enjoy God, but to enjoy each other and to enjoy life. And, and so there, there's this time when Jesus was at a party. By the way, Jesus ate a lot. When people say, I want to be like Jesus, okay? Eat a lot and walk a lot because those are the two things <laughs> Jesus did a lot. And so if you want to be like Jesus, walk a lot and, uh, and, and, and eat with people. Because the life of Jesus is really a life lived in community with people. And one of the curious things to me is a lot of times people try to over-spiritualize themselves by saying, you know, I don't need the church. I don't need people. It's just me and God. You ever been around like people like that? Maybe you are people like that, right? It's just, I, just, I just want trees. But, you know, if Jesus had come and just said, I'm just going to kind of commune with the trees, we wouldn't be here talking about Jesus, See, because I think trees are easier than people. How about you? <laughs> Way easier. I know dogs are easier than people, because I have a dog, and she's awesome. And uh, she loves me without condition and never breaks my heart. And, uh, but people are tough. But Jesus spends his life with people. There's nothing we know about Jesus that is outside of the context of human relationships. Think about that. 
Everything we know about Jesus is in contrast and in the context of human relationships. And so Jesus goes to a lot of parties, and some of them are really looked down upon, but this time he goes to a party and he starts teaching what I would call party theologies in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 7. It says that Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, and then he told them this parable. So he's watching what's going on. He's watching people kind of negotiate and figure out where, they, where they're going to sit. You ever go to an event where there's like a table with 20 seats or 15 seats or 10 seats, and you're trying to figure out where do you want to sit? You know, because you want to sit around the person that you know you want to talk to, or, or, or maybe you want to make sure that you're in the middle of the conversation. Jesus is watching them all negotiate for their own importance. And then Jesus says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests for all those who exalted themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And aside from all the details of this, what Jesus is really saying to us is if we want to live out a proper party theology and live the kind of life that he lived, we need to go to serve. Wherever we go, wherever we're invited, wherever we're, we're, we're a part of, we need to go with the posture to serve rather than to be served. And so he, he lays out some nuances, and I get them. Have, have you ever gone to a sporting event and you had bad tickets? Come on, anybody? But then you saw like open seats and better, better section? You ever have that? Do you ever have like a friend who was just evil? And they said, let's go, let's go. You know, and you couldn't, you couldn't, like, no, no, I want to do the right thing. I'm going to stay in my seats. And they go, come on, come on. Because uh, you ever had that? And, and, or you, are you that friend? Are you you're that you're that one. Those seats are open, man. No one's using them. We just, no one's going to know. See, I'm the guy going, I'm going to get caught. I know I'm going to get caught. And, and I, I have to admit, like, there was a time where I was with a friend, and he's no longer my friend. I, I put that behind me now. And, and he said, look at those seats. Look at those seats. Let's go. And he talked me into it. And we went. And then a little while later, I'm the whole time, I can't even enjoy the game. So I like thinking, I know they're coming, I know they're coming. You just have to act like they're your seats. You know, I own this space, but I couldn't, I couldn't. And, and eventually, these people came, and the usher came, and he goes, excuse me, can we see your tickets? And then you're pretending, oh, oh you know. <laughs> this, this is the 100 section. I'm in the 300 section. I, I didn't know. I thought it was 103. I'm dyslexic. Who would have known? And... I don't know if there's anything more humiliating than choosing a seat that is above your honor and then having someone tell you, you know, you don't belong here. And Jesus says, don't do that. Take the seat in the 300 section so that maybe someone sees you and invites you to come down to the 100 section. You're going to be honored in front of everyone. He says, take a posture where you live your life serving other people. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Because I think so oftentimes we, we try to figure out how to be accepted or to be loved or to have friends or to find your way into an inner circle. And, and what Jesus is actually saying is that instead of trying to figure out how to get into a circle, just create the circle. Just, just serve people and love people and be there for people. Instead of waiting for someone to be your friend, you just be the friend. Instead of waiting for someone to pull you in, you pull them in. 
And, and you create the space where you're serving other people. And I, I look back and I realize that was a huge part of what brought me to faith. It was just people choosing to serve us as a family. And it was my mom and my brother and my two little sisters. And, and, my, and my brother and I were in college, so we'd only come home on occasion. And, and my, my mom came to faith, and she called me up. She said she was a Christian. I had no idea what that was, but she seemed happy, so I was happy for her. And I was irreligious, so I wasn't for religion or against religion. I never thought about religion. But I started going seeing my mom, and the next thing I knew, she was going to church, and she's around all these really strangely happy people. And, and they seemed to have their lives centered around God, which was such an odd concept to me. I mean, isn't that an odd space to be, where your whole life is built on God? I mean, see, if you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus, that may seem normal or natural to you, but it's really weird. Have you ever met someone who's like a Dodger fan? That's all they are. Like they're a, like Kevin Pena, like this guy right here. Like this guy's like I'm a Laker fan. This, this guy's a Laker fan when the whole world's going why? Like no, no, and, and and it's like he's all about that. Like, have you ever been around someone like that? They just, it's all they think about. It's all they do. It's, it's all they wear. And uh, it's their whole life. And I can almost understand a sports fanatic, except really it's kind of hard, right? They never play. Like, you're not on the field. You're not on the court. They're not paying you anything. You're paying money to sell their brand, right? I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? And, but we're used to sports fanatics. It's a little strange when you think, wow, this person's whole life is built around God, so I kept meeting these people like that, and I thought it was so odd. And my brother and I, we came home for the summer from college. We had no, no um, identifiable skills. And, uh, and so this, this guy hires us to work for his construction company, but we're so poor, we don't even have a car. So he has the construction manager pick us up at our apartment where we all live together every morning to take us to work and bring us back home every day. The owner of this construction company had his site manager be our driver every day. And me and my brother were horrible employees. Uh, we, we, not only did we not know how to do anything, we didn't want to know how to do anything. And <laughs> we were working construction, and, 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 and then one of the guys was like from South Carolina, and he, he, he chewed tobacco the whole time. And so when he would give instructions, it was like a foreign language. And my brother would just look at him and never understand anything. But, but because I went to school in North Carolina, I could understand him. I was a translator. And, uh, and, and, and so he would stop talking to my brother. He'd get so frustrated. He would just give me commands for both of us. And my brother goes, the man thinks I'm retarded. And, uh, and, and I said, that, is that new? And, uh, no, and, and, and so all summer long, we were working construction. And every day, that man would pick us up. And after about three months, the owner of the company came up to me one day and he said, Erwin, have you thought about giving your life to Jesus? And I said, yeah, no. <laughs> now leave me alone. And that was my one spiritual conversation with him. And that was on a Sunday. And on Monday, his manager came and picked us up and took us to work. He didn't cut us out. He didn't drop me off the team. He didn't say, get your own way to work. He didn't fire me. They just kept picking me up. And they just kept loving me. And I did everything I could to make these people hate me. And they just kept serving me. And then they invite me to parties. See, that, isn't that devious? They invite me to, like, how do you say no to parties on a lake where people go skiing and they're like pretty girls and uh, like 
okay, I'll go. But I can tell you're trying to manipulate me. And, and uh, there's nothing worse than people trying to manipulate you by loving you and caring for you and opening up the world to you. And little by little, their love just kept opening up my soul, my life, my heart. And I remember one day uh, getting conned into going to church and I was sitting in the back, really defiant, not wanting to be there, but, you know, this girl invited me. How could I say no? And, uh, and, and, and in the end of the gathering, she looked at me. She goes, hey, have you thought about giving your life to Jesus? And I said, uh, yeah. And I, I don't know why I said this. I said, yeah, there's no room for me in heaven. And I knew who I was. I knew how broken I was. And I knew how messed up I was. And, and, uh, and she just, she didn't even answer in a deep, profound way. She just looked at me. She goes, Yes, there is. That's all she said. Because words had so much power because of all the times they served me and loved me and cared for me. And Jesus said, when you go to a party, just go to serve. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a philosopher. You just have to be a human that cares about people and opens your life. If we're going to see God do something really special here, if this is going to be something unique and beautiful and something that I'm convinced Orange County desperately needs, we just need to go to serve. And, and, and explain the question of who are you by the way we live in relationship to people. And not just people who believe in God, but people who do not. Not people who just agree with us, but people who disagree with us. We live in a culture where the moment someone disagrees with us, they become our enemy. And I hope we create a culture that even when people disagree with us, we still love them. Then Jesus goes on in verse uh, 12. He says, make friends with people who need friends. Look in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or a rich neighbor. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. That's called networking. (laughs) business luncheons, you know. Do you have a card? Who carries a card? And he says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. When Jesus is describing how to throw your party, he says, first go to serve, but then he says, open your circle. And I just want to highlight something because because when it says invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, invite those who cannot repay you, what Jesus is actually saying is invite the person that you would not normally invite except that God has changed who you are. Because if you're just inviting the people that benefit your life, you're not actually doing something that reflects what Jesus is doing. Every party Jesus invites us to, he's, he's like slumming. Whenever he... God chooses to relate to humanity. God chooses to take a step down. He says, open up your circle and invite people into your life. And this is interesting to me because I think it's in Mark chapter 2. Jesus calls out a guy named Levi, whose also name is Matthew. But So he calls Levi, says, come follow me. And Levi's a tax collector. And then Levi follows Jesus. And the very next thing it says, Jesus never gives him any command, any instructions. He doesn't tell him what to do. Levi just shows a party. Because Levi is known for throwing great parties. And the moment he meets Jesus, he invites all of his other tax collector friends, and Mark 2 says, and sinners. He has to highlight that. Because all of Levi's friends were sinners, because they were like Levi. 
And then he invites Jesus and the disciples. He doesn't know any better. He thinks they all want to meet each other. And guess what? He was right. But all the religious leaders were angry going, who's Jesus hanging out with all these tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, of course, he says, well, the, the doctor doesn't come for the sick. I mean, for the healthy. He comes for the sick. And the, the, the healthy do not need a doctor. So if you think you're healthy, you don't need me. But everyone who's sick, then I'm coming to them. And I remember when, when we were coming to faith, my mom threw a party at our little apartment, and she invited the pastor and some of the leaders of the church. And this was a huge church. I don't know why they came to our house. I have no idea how they had time to say yes. We had this little party at the house, and the pastor came, and some of like the other pastors and deacons or whatever they had there. I don't even remember, because we didn't know how the whole system worked. And they were Baptists. So I don't know if you know anything about Baptists, but Baptists, like, they don't even drink water. And, uh, I mean, they're against drinking. Because every Baptist asks, do you drink? I said, it, it, it's required for existence. And uh, they go, no, no, no. I mean, do you drink alcohol? Because we all drink at least water. And, uh, and, we, and we had this little party at the house, and my mom created her famous punch. Now, her famous punch had, like, a little Hawaiian punch and a lot of liquor. It just a lot. It was, like, high dose, you know. And... And, but it still had the, the, uh, the, uh, the Hawaiian red tint to it. And, uh, oh, and we added some Sprite, too, and, uh, to it. It was horrible. And, and, my, and all night long, that little punch bowl never dropped. But no one ever said anything to us. And I remember my mom calls me into the kitchen, and she goes, honey, honey, come here. She goes, could you, could you go taste my punch? Because no one's drinking it. Is something wrong with it? Is it not mixed right? And, so, okay, I'll go, I'll check it out. And I went and checked out the punch. It tasted great to me. Like, you know, I've been drinking that all my life. And so I, you know, <laughs> I said, seems fine. And, and later, I remember the, the, the pastor of the church came up and goes, hey, do you have anything to drink in the back, like Sprite? I said, yeah, I think we have some Sprite left over. We didn't put it all in the punch. And, and, uh, and, and I realized that, that these are people who did not drink, but they never said anything to us. Because they, 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 they knew that their value systems were not properly imposed on us. All they cared about was us. They didn't care about the punch. Now, there was one guy who kept going back to the punch ball. I remember that. But uh, <laughs> I think it was the best punch he ever had in his life. And, see, I, I think a lot of times we just, we just try to take our own holiness so seriously that we make ourselves irrelevant to people. You know, and, and it, it, holiness and being a person who's godly is not about being disconnected from reality and from real life and real people. And I think it's so important to know how to hang out with people who are normal, you know? And, and what I hope never happens here is we don't ever become so self-righteous um, that everywhere we go, people go, oh, we don't want them. Because all they do is judge how we live our lives. I want people to go, they're the, they're the most enjoyable people in the world. I want to prove I can have more fun sober than you can drunk. I want to bring life and love and joy. And besides, somebody has to be able to drive everybody home. <laughs> and why shouldn't it be me? Jesus said, when you go there, invite everyone who who would never get an invitation, open your circle and allow people to come into your life. One of the things um, 
that my wife Kim does so well is that she, her circle is interestingly open. We, we've probably had over 100 Muslims in our home over the past couple of years. Every time someone who's a Muslim who comes as a refugee from Syria or Iran or Iraq or somewhere in the Middle East, somehow my wife has a radar. She finds them. I don't think there is a Muslim from the Middle East who's come as a refugee in L.A. County who has not been to our house. <laughs> and my wife just builds teams and community. And what I love about Mosaic is how we've just surrounded them with love. And, and so many of the mosques did not want to put the effort to help them. And so the most inviting, caring, communal place they found was the church. I mean, that's the best expression of being Jesus in the world. And I, I remember one of the older Muslims, who's older than like 75, 80 years old, who was one of the seniors who came from Syria, came and experienced Mosaic, and they had this big meal, and and they actually stood up and said, I think that I might actually become a Christian. And everyone was shocked. Because the person who was the most devout and long-term Muslim was so moved by the love and the acceptance at the open circle. And I, I, and I think that it's so important that no matter who's drawing the circles in the world, because you ever notice people just keep drawing circles? whether you're right or left, Republican, Democrat, liberal, you know, fundamentalist. It's like everybody wants to draw circles, and we just need to keep opening our circle yeah. and saying, oh, Mosaic's going to be a place where everyone can come and everyone can be loved and everyone can find meaning and acceptance in life. And that, to me, is what's so exciting is Jesus says, look, stop living in this closed circle and open up your life to other people. And then he says in verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at that time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell them that they had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. It, I, I'm on my way to try it out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married and I cannot come. I think it's interesting that Jesus now begins to just blow out their whole view of, of how they're supposed to use their influence and relationships. He says, now you need to go to serve. You need to open your circle. But now you, you need to realize you need to let people say no for themselves. You need to stop saying no for people and assuming they don't want to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. And you need to open up the invitation and invite everyone to come. I do think it's kind of funny. There, there's three things, right? The whole thing, what is it? I have places to go, things to do, and people to see. Isn't that the, kind of like the cliche? That's exactly what Jesus uses here. He says, the first one says, I just bought a field. I must go see it. Please excuse me. In other words, I have um, places to go. So I'm out. The second one says, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. I have things to do. So I'm tapping out. The third guy says, I just got married. I'm not allowed to come. I think that's how it's, it's kind of awesome, right? Anybody know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> the guy said, I just got married. I said, I can't come. And last night, a couple of people came over to watch um, a sporting event. And, uh, and Dom was there, one of our guys. And he says, he says oh, you know, I, I, got, I got to go. And, uh, and he started talking about how his wife you know, let him come. <laughs> and uh, he needed to get back in time because she let him come, but there's a curfew. And uh, there are limitations to the freedom you get. 
once you're married, guys. And <laughs> because you know what? Nothing will determine your freedom more than the people you choose for your life. Probably the most important decision you make in your life is who you marry. And then after, who you marry is who you choose to live your life in relationship with. Sociologists tell us now that we are the sum total of the five to six people in closest proximity to who we are. And so if you say you want to be one kind of person, but the five or six people in your life are different kind of people, you're either lying to yourself or you're confused about how to get there. Look at the people in your life, and they will tell you who you are and who you're becoming. And one of the things I love about community, one of the things I love about the church is that it's the most inclusive community in the world where we say no for someone. We let people come and we just assume people want to say yes. I, just a few months ago, I, I ended up doing this podcast with this guy named Lewis Howes. And I didn't know anything about Lewis at all. I did, I'd never listened to his podcast. But, but this other speaker, motivational speaker, guy had written like 20 books, would send me these texts telling me about this guy named Lewis and how he was an atheist and he wasn't open to God and he was pretty closed and how he tried to talk to him but it just never worked out. And so then I get invited to this guy's podcast. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, atheist, hardcore, gonna be antagonistic, get ready. You ever just like get, you braced yourself but then it didn't come? It looks really awkward. It's like, you're like, and you, you fall forward. I, I, I go meet this guy, he's the nicest guy in the world. Okay, okay, wait a minute, Where, where's the antagonism? Okay, it's coming. Ooh, he's slippery. Okay. He's acting so friendly, but I know something's coming. Okay, okay. And then we start talking before he goes, and he said, is there anything I could do to make this podcast work for you? I'm like, I'm not falling for that. Because, <laughs> you know, the guy who warned me, he set me up years ago. I was on his radio show. And in the middle of the radio show that was not about God and not about spirituality, in the middle of the show, the guy goes, hey, you're a Christian, right? And I go, uh-huh. He goes, you think you're the only people going to heaven and the rest of us are going to hell, right? So the guy who was warning me about him actually did set me up 15 years ago. So I'm like, okay, he's going to set me up. He goes, is there anything I can do to help you, on the, to facilitate, make this podcast better for you? I go, oh, hey, I said, let's, let's not do a podcast. Let's just have an honest conversation between two human beings. He goes, that works for me. It was the most beautiful conversation like an hour and a half with this guy. And, and about an hour and I'm so confused. I'm going, he's so likable and so open and so curious. And, and so finally I said, Lewis, your friends tell me you're an atheist. And your brain may be an atheist, but your soul believes. He goes, well, my friends don't know everything about me. He goes, I'm a very layered person. <laughs> and he just kept asking me about God and about Jesus and faith and and then that night he sends me a text. We just keep talking about the podcast all day here at the office. I'm like, oh, we're still talking about it. And then he goes, I'm going to come to church. You ever had that little thought? Yeah, right. You know, that's like the girl says, yeah, we're going to go out one day. You know, <laughs> she's never going out with you, okay? You know, it's always going to be a bad hair day. And, and he goes, yeah, I'm going to come. And next thing I know, he says, oh, I have to be in Mexico. I go, yeah, I'm sure. And then on Sunday I get a text flying back early from Mexico so I can come to church. And I thought, okay. Then I go, okay, he's only come once. They just kept coming back. They kept coming back. They kept coming back. And you know what happened? What I realized is that, is that in my brain, I was already saying no for someone. That already had this huge yes. 
And what Jesus is telling us is, look, posture your heart, believing that people are sincerely desperate to find God as you. He says, just go out there and find them. Tell them the banquet is ready. Beat the bushes and bring them in. I'm telling you, there are people that you can't even imagine right now who are searching for God but have no idea who to talk to. I just did an event over here this past uh, week over at Terranea in uh, Palos Verdes, wherever that is. And, um, and it's, it was a purely secular business event, and they asked me to come and speak because they heard me speak at this other event. And, and so I did a talk, and, and, and because it was in a business context, I, I didn't try to like, use it to talk about faith. I, I don't think I mentioned God in the entire talk. I know I did mention Jesus. And afterwards, they had a Game of Thrones party for all the business people, which is a little odd. And, uh, and, and every single person came up and asked me about God. Every person started asking me about Jesus. I thought, how weird that I did a talk completely on self-limiting mindsets. And they're all coming to ask me about faith. And then this one woman, she looked Hindu, came up to me and she said, you mentioned having cancer. Thank you for mentioning that. I'm having surgery on Tuesday. She looked, she was 28, 29 years old, and I'm a little afraid. She goes, and I was wondering what, what helped you make it through having cancer. And I said, well, you know, one of the things, perhaps the most important thing for me is that I'm deeply grounded in faith, and my faith helped me through it. And she goes, I've been exploring faith. Isn't that beautiful? And I said, you have? She goes, yes, I've, I've been exploring faith too, so, so I, I can tap into that. And, and then I had met this other couple. He was, I think, older Japanese man married to his uh, Caucasian wife. And, and they came and talked to me about God. And I found out they were people of faith and they believed in Jesus. And, and I, I grabbed them. I said, she's having surgery on Tuesday. We're in the middle of this Game of Thrones party. <laughs> Are you blood or fire? Or whatever. You know, ice. So it was like, whatever, fire, ice. And, and, and I said, um, could the three of us just stop and pray for you right now? so that we could pray for your surgery on Tuesday. She goes, that would mean so much to me. And right in the middle of this business event in between fire and ice and the fire dancing woman, we we're praying for her that Jesus would meet her in that moment and either heal her body or bring her back to health through the surgeon's skills. And it would have been so easy to say, this is a business event. There's no way this person would be open. This is a Game of Thrones after party. <laughs> this is not where you stop and pray for a person in the middle of everyone. Let me tell you, if God is here, he is everywhere. And if God's going to be relevant here, he'll be relevant every place you go. And what I hope Mosaic becomes is, we don't call this a service, we call this a gathering. And the reason we call this a gathering is because we're still the church when we're not together. We're just either the church gathered or the church scattered, but we're always the church together. And if we're going to do this right, we have to be fully alive. One of my friends who was the head of the Department of Psychology at UCLA came up to me one day. He came to faith later in his life before he died of cancer. And when he found faith, he said to me, Erwin, have you noticed that almost no one talks about Jesus who actually says they believe in Jesus? And I said, nah, yes, I notice. It's a dilemma. And he said to me something so insightful. 
He said, is it possible that people do not talk about the life that Jesus gives us because they're not fully alive? I said, that's exactly why. You cannot share what you do not have. You cannot give what you've not experienced. And what I hope you'll find here is a place that will inspire you and compel you and maybe sometimes even confront you to live your life so fully alive that every single day of your life you live. And when you are filled with courage and filled with faith and you're living a life filled with joy and celebration, when you love your life, you will know that others have a life waiting for them that they can love as well. And Jesus says, it's time to throw a party. Stop acting like God is the enemy of joy and celebration. God is one who thought up love. God thought up celebration. God is the creator of the party, and he makes it sacred because when you are fully alive in Jesus, you live life to the fullest. And, And maybe you're here, and you've been trying to make sense of Jesus and trying to decide if you're going to trust him with your life. I just want to tell you something. Jesus uses language that makes it a little bit challenging for us because he tells us we're dead and that he comes to give us life, but we think we're alive. But in the eyes of God, we're just existing, not living. And what Jesus wants to do is convince us that what we think is life is just existence. And if we'll give him our lives, he will actually give us the life our souls have longed for. And if you're here right now and you've never crossed the line of faith and given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you in this moment to ask Jesus to take your existence away and to give you life. That's why he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's why Jesus is the hope of the world, because he is the source of all our souls long for. He is the source of love and life and joy and hope. And if you're here right now, I want to invite you. If you would just just bow your heads with me right now, just for a moment. If you're here right now and you know what you need is Jesus, you don't have all the answers. It's not all going to make sense to you right away. But what you know is that you need God and you need Jesus in your life. Jesus gave his life for you 2,000 years ago. He's just waiting for you to give your life to him. So I want to lead you in a simple prayer where you can give your life to Jesus. It's just one sentence. It's not everything you and God need to talk about. That conversation is going to last forever. But right now, this is where the conversation begins. Right now, if you're here and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, would you pray with me this prayer? Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. Just tell them, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your prayer, if in this moment you've just whispered those words, Jesus, I give you my life, I want to pray for you right now. If this is your prayer, I want you right now with all the courage you have just to hold your hand up high so I can see you. Right now, beautiful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Anyone else right now? Jesus, beautiful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Wonderful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Beautiful. 
Anyone else? Jesus. Beautiful. Jesus, I give you my life. Anyone else? Wherever you are. Father, I thank you for the women and the men who in this moment have crossed the line of faith and have given their lives to you. I thank you that you meet us where we are and you take us to where we cannot go without you. I pray that God right now you would just wrap them up in your love and let them know they belong to you, that you'll never leave them or abandon them. We are so grateful, Father, for what you're doing in their life right now. And we pray in your name. Amen. Can we just thank God for all those who just responded to him right now? So good. So good. I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Mosaic Podcast. As God has spoken into your life, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that when we've been invested in, we need to also become investors. And I want to encourage you right now, if Mosaic is one of the platforms from which you grow spiritually, you connect more deeply to God, and your faith with Jesus becomes more real, I want to encourage you right now to go to mosaic.org and become one of our givers. Give a one-time gift, become a recurring giver, become a part of what God's doing across the world. Mosaic isn't just a church in Los Angeles. Mosaic is all of us working together.